Hello and welcome to episode number 129 of The Sleeper and the Bust. This is Nicholas Minix, your host, and joining me this week is a special guest filling in for Jason Collette. It is 75 billion time uh, Tout Wars winner, uh, Larry Schechter. Larry, thank you very much for joining us. Why don't you tell some folks about where to find some of your work? Um, thanks. Uh, glad to be here, Nick. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a little nervous, though, filling in for Jason Collette. Those are big shoes to fill, though. Um, my work, well, I have written a book called Winning Fantasy Baseball, which is available in bookstores everywhere, and it's also available on Amazon, uh, Kindle, Nook, iTunes, etc. And that, in, in one piece of work, I have laid out all of my thoughts and strategy about how to win at fantasy baseball. And uh, there's information also about it also on my website, which is winningfantasybaseballthebook.com. Yes, please check that out. I've uh, I have to I have to make a small admission here, Larry. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I've read a, a good number of the excerpts. And folks, I, I have to tell you, just um, take the opportunity to read this book if you're looking for insights, especially on just uh, uh, game strategy and things like that. But there's a number of stuff. I mean, there are a number of things that you can really learn from this. This is, I mean, covers kind of top to bottom. Uh, how to become a better fancy baseball player. You can absolutely learn something from it. Uh, and I, I mean, I picked up a couple of helpful tips myself already. I think it's uh, it's fantastic. And again, this is a guy who's he won Tout Wars three straight years and uh, won AL Labor last year. Uh, and this is uh, it, it's coming from a guy who has gotten it done. So uh, I mean, it's it, it comes highly recommended, and we're really glad to have him on the show this evening. So uh, get to some topics here. Obviously, there's. Always a lot to talk about, so we'll just touch on some things that have come up recently. And I'm going to first get into a situation uh, with the San Francisco Giants. I've seen some questions kind of around the web here about Sergio Romo and uh, and some concerns about his peripherals. And really lately, um, he's he's been pretty bad. Uh, I think he gave up five runs on Friday uh, and had just had a couple of shaky appearances over the weekend. The strikeout rate is down. Walk rate is about the same, but it is slowly rising uh, and really concerned. looks like there's, I mean, he's giving up a lot more home runs. Uh, there's, there's, I think there's some concerning stuff here that we haven't typically seen from him in the past. Uh, and this includes, uh, I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with the velocity, but uh, uh, certainly uh, the results don't suggest that this is the same kind of Sergio Romo we've seen in the last couple of years who has kind of slowly taken a stranglehold on this Giants' closer job. I would say that to me, it looks like a situation where I'd be a little concerned, but I don't know necessarily anything insightful off the bat that says, wow, this is a guy that I want to maybe sell low on or something like that. Larry, have you have you, have you you seen anything in, in him yourself that really concerns you? Well, I own him on one of my teams. And you know, he, he, he's a guy, without looking at all the numbers real deeply, he's a guy that I think a lot of people have doubted for the last couple of years. A lot of the you know, Sabre people have thought, you know, this guy, his peripherals, et cetera, just aren't good. And people have doubted him, and yet he's he's gotten the job done despite it. And he's been, like, he's been unquestionably the closer in San Francisco for the last at least year or more. So unless he continues to do really badly i'm not i'm not too i'm a little bit concerned but i'm not too concerned because he had that one awful appearance a couple of nights ago 
And then last night, um, he got the first two guys out. He gave up a hit. And then the next guy hit like a line drive that should have dropped in for a single. And the outfielder made a diving attempt and he missed it. And it turned into a inside the park two run homer. So, you know, it was kind of a, a, a bit of a bad break there. So, um, I'm, you know, as a, as a Roma owner, I'm a little concerned, but I'm, I'm not too concerned. Um, you know, on the other hand, just to bring out a name, I own Joe Nathan in, on a couple of teams, and I'm extremely concerned about him. Um, so Romo, you know, I'm definitely going to keep my fingers crossed that he has a couple of solid outings next time out. Um, and if he does, I won't be concerned at all. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> with as far as Romo is concerned, uh, I mean – it's interesting you brought up the uh, the the uh, I mean it's essentially and he ha- he has had no he's given up no earned run or unearned runs this year, um, which I mean leads to you know, maybe there's some questionable a little bit questionable scoring going on considering how many he's given up. Uh, he's hit four um, he's hit four batters already, which is kind of unusual for him, uh, in, at least in this short period. Uh, and just in general, as a I mean. It seems like his his location is is a is a good bit off. And but this is a this is a pitcher who has dealt with injury concerns at times. Um, I, I can't help but wonder if a little bit is just uh, how how much that they've used him uh, in comparison to the past. But again, this is it's not something that uh, I can say uh, with great certainty that there's any reason to be concerned other than the strikeout rate is down. It looks. Yeah, I mean his. Um... Even after these last two bad outings, his whip right now is .95, and that's after his his last two outings. He went an inning and a third, giving up seven base runners. So if you take if you take that out of the equation, I'm trying to do the math real quickly. It's like 20, 20 base runners in 27 innings. So before 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 this, I mean, his whip was like you know .74. So you know, I'll, I'll, I'm not I'm not going to worry too much about a declining a little bit of a declining strikeout rate with a .74 whip because he still has um, he's getting almost a strikeout an inning. Yes, yes, he is, and he's he seems to be. I mean, he's he's used the, his fastball a little less. He's used his changeup a little more, and he's always been heavily dependent on the slider. But um, basically, the pitch mix picks. The pitch mix could be anything related to just the fact that he has been in a little more troublesome situations. And if you hang a changeup or something, if you leave a changeup out, uh, it's a little easier to to homer on that pitch sometimes. I mean, I think that that's it. It sounds like I mean, and again, uh, with a nod to uh, Larry's experience, I mean, this is a pitcher that he doesn't seem to be too concerned about. That would make me feel a little better about the situation. And uh, speaking of uh, speaking of Nathan. I mean, uh, we could certainly elaborate on this. is a pitcher we've actually talked about a good bit in the past couple of weeks. Um, yeah, but, I'm not, surpri- not surprised on that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, I mean, uh, some comments that Eno has made about him being very concerned. I mean, basically that, you know, he's he is pitching uh, like an old pitcher uh, and uh, with a, a combination of things, including down velocity. Uh, and uh, even even though there was a the slight hint that that had jumped back, I mean, basically he's really, really... Uh, giving us some concerns. The only question we've had is whether um, there's an actual alternative uh, in Detroit. And uh, we've had our doubts about Job Chamberlain, um, whether he can actually, whether he'd ever get uh, an opportunity to really seize control of the job as well as hold it. Um, and then obviously there's also perhaps maybe after the All-Star break sometime. Uh, this 
for me is very hard to foresee is Joel Hanrahan becoming a true uh, part of the equation as, far as being a solution. So it looks like a situation um, that we've kind of evaluated and said, if any, if Detroit does anything to address this, that's not Nathan uh, for the rest of the season, it ends up being a trade. Do you have any thoughts on that? What, is, what are your, what are your plans as far as uh, you know, any way you can um, give yourself a security blanket when it comes to Nathan? Well, um, I actually tried to sell a little bit low on him on one league, and that that didn't work. I couldn't work anything out. So basically, I've just got to, you know, hope that he that he is okay. Um, I'm not real high on Joba now. Joba uh, in in the leagues where I own Nathan Joba is owned, so I can't pick him up as a possible insurance. Um, I you know jo- I, I'm not real high on Joba, and you know I'm, I agree with you. Hand your hand sounds like a long shot, but I think basically either Nathan is going to turn it around and be decent or you know you're better than decent or they're going to have to do something you know and if, if job is not the answer um, they'll have to look elsewhere um you know they're i've kind of been joking that you know they ought to go trade for joaquin benoit <laughs> that would be um that would be i think pretty welcome uh, especially for benoit owners i mean he was a player who was uh uh, speculated yeah. to be kind of the guy who would replace Street as soon as Street was injured, and Street turns out to be having one of his better seasons. So I guess that's disappointing. But uh, I mean, and uh, we've we've talked about the possibility that maybe Street is somebody that Detroit pursues. I think it's just it's going to be an interesting situation. I wouldn't completely rule out uh, something where Nate. I mean, Nathan is a smart pitcher. He is he has figured out a way to work with less and less stuff throughout his career, um, but it takes some time to do that. Uh, is he getting to the point where uh, he's he's kind of hit the, the the low threshold for the return on investment of beco- uh, becoming a smarter pitcher? Uh, we, I mean, we won't know until it actually happens. I mean, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but uh, I would be doing what I can to uh, uh, to come up with uh, some kind of alternative plan for those who own him uh, in, in leagues, especially they give you opportunity in, in mixed leagues where you have opportunities to address that. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Rays go, uh, we we know that Joe Madden. I mean, he had given Grant Balfour the vote of confidence uh, a week ago, and then um, the next by the next morning had said that he was going to go to a committee here. And uh, and uh, really, the Rays haven't come up with too many opportunities in the ninth inning. But uh, Jake McGee actually registered a save today in a in a kind of uh, what, what would you you would call your your classic. Um, save opportunity and converted uh, today with pretty much no issues. Uh, Grant Balfour registered a save earlier in the week, and that was strictly because uh, the Rays had gone well into extra innings. Had and Balfour pitched two and a third innings uh, scoreless and for a save, which is, I guess, kind of impressive considering that his last out, his last couple of outings, uh, but especially that uh, the, the last one had not gone well. But that's the only time that Balfour has appeared this week. And so McGee, uh, Folks, that we have we have speculated here at times that it seems that Juan Oviedo might have the edge here because he's a he's a right-hander, um, and uh, based on a lot of contract situations with the Rays, including that they'd like to see not to see uh, McGee uh, become more expensive, uh, that they they'd be reluctant to give him the op, the the role, but uh, obviously they gave him the opportunity today. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily that this is an indication. This is this is the way they're going. But it's uh, I, I don't know that they had any questions about who was available today. Um, again, this is a situation where uh, it was their first legit save opportunity in a bit. And uh, I mean, it's 
he, he certainly has the skills to to perform in the role, especially this year. I mean, he's had some up and down seasons as a major leaguer, but uh, he's he's been fantastic so far this year. Is this a guy you'd be willing to buy uh, buy in on a lot? Um, I'm not going to buy in a lot on any of those guys because I think it's very unsettled. Um, you know, when when there's a clear when there's a clear cut number two guy and the closer you know, is injured for three months or something like, like Mel Melanson, you know, if, if Jason Grilly got like a, an injury to, and it was going to be out for the rest of the season, I would completely buy in on Melanson because he is the number two guy for sure. And he is solid. And if Grilly's not there, it's, you know, it's going to be Melanson in Tampa Bay. I don't know. You know, I, I think it's more likely they go to a committee than anybody takes the job and runs with it. Now, you know, could, could McGee take the job and run with it? Yes, he could. Um, and if, if I could get McGee, if I had a spot on my roster for McGee and I could get him for a small price, I would certainly, you know, be worth a stash. But if I'm like in an, in a league where he's a free agent, like, like the NFBC, you know, somebody tonight is probably going to bid a ton of money on, on McGee because he got the save today, but it could be, it could be a committee with him. Oviedo, um, Balfour could pitch, could pitch well a few times and get, and get his job back or be part of the committee. And I'm not sure why nobody's mentioning jo Joel Peralta because he's a guy that they've gone to in the past when they needed a closer. So I, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just not sure why I'm not hearing anybody even mention Peralta in this conversation. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked a little about uh, Peralta in the sense that uh, it seems Madden has been reluctant at times to go to him because uh, he seems to be a pitcher that he favors only in certain situations, and that he has often used him in kind of to get, to retire one or two hitters uh, in those situations. And he seems to, he seems to revert, reserve him for a specialist type role. I think he's yeah. a guy that could definitely factor in. Um, I mean, that's that's what we were weighing kind of head to head if we had to pick one between Oviedo and Peralta, and we kind of just sided with Oviedo because I think he's uh, this is the last year of his contract with Tampa Bay, and and there were a number of things we thought might factor in. Um, I, I mean, I think yeah, it could be it could be any of these guys. I mean, Balf, uh, excuse me, Madden has stated already his desire to get Balfour back in the role of, uh, as soon as he kind of you know corrects things. I, right. The question is, is whether he will. Um, the velocity is down. The walk rate is way up. And, and so it becomes a question of, is there is there some kind of uh, underlying health issue? And there's really no way for us to say. The Rays are usually very particular about stuff like that. Too, and, and you would think that they would be on top of it if that was, a, was the case. Balfour was pretty good for two and a third innings uh, in, in an extra inning situation. Uh, that's that's got to be pretty encouraging for them. Um, but, uh, I mean, there are... There are a number of ways that this situation can go, and I agree. I'd be hesitant to bid a lot of money on McGee because I think it would be very frustrating to have blown quite a bit of money uh, on a on a saves candidate that turns out just to be a part of a committee again uh, and ends up not even being in the picture once someone someone else takes uh, kind of control of the situation. And I think that's what really scares me. I mean, McGee is clearly probably even their best reliever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, he's the raises idea of the uh, raise idea of a closer. Because uh, they, I mean, they they look at things a little differently from the way uh, a number of other teams do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would be hesitant to dump a lot of money in him. Yeah. Um, as as far as uh, other, I mean, Ernesto Frieri uh, has been uh, really frustrating. If you own him, I do. I own him in the tout uh, mixed in the mixed tout draft league. 
uh, quite a frustrating uh, situation because this is, this is a, in a non-save situation. He gave up, I think, like four runs uh, without recording an out uh, on Friday. And uh, yeah, and and Mike Sosha said, uh, you know, no change. Uh, he has no intention to change the the arrangement there. Obviously, uh, Rays in or I'm sorry, the Angels in Atlanta playing tonight. Uh, was be interested to see if it turns out to be a situation where he uh, could be called upon again, but. Um, he continues to kind of frustrate folks. Uh, he will come in and absolutely slam the door, no doubts about it, and then uh, come in and have uh, these absolutely disgusting outings like he did on Friday. Uh, it, we've talked about the possibility and alternatives here uh, on a number of occasions, and uh, there's really no one who sticks out. It is interesting that the Angels have activated Dane De La Rosa. Finally, they do think he's healthy enough and, and – I mean, to me, uh, considering that they've already turned to him in the past as kind of this interim option, um, I, I think he's the only one that really presents a true threat other than, uh, I mean, long term, we know that Cameron, Bedro- uh, I think it's Cameron Bedrosian. I now forget. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cam Bedrosian. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, maybe a long, he's definitely a long term option for them, but uh, doesn't seem likely to enter a picture anytime soon. So De La Rosa does look like the alternative. Um Possibly eventually, but Sosha has been awfully dogmatic. I think when it comes to free airy, so the question becomes: uh, Do we? You know, what are your predictions as far as that scenario goes? I mean, I I, I still find it hard to believe that they're going to make a change. I think that Sosha is, is usually so stubborn about things like this that uh, uh, that, uh, that anything that occurs is really on an interim basis basis at best. Well, I I think I actually disagree with you partly. I think that Joe Smith is the more likely alternative, um, especially since Delarosa has been out. When when they temporarily removed Freire from the role a while ago, Smith came in, and he, he did basically fine. And I think he's the guy that they would go to if, if, they, if he makes a change. Although I think if, if, he, if Socha takes Freire out, it's going to be the same situation where uh, a couple of a good appearances by Freire in a, non, in a non-closer role, and he'll probably get put right back in there because for whatever reason social likes having Freire as the closer he likes having Joe Smith be more flexible and you know if De La Rosa comes off the uh, the DL and starts pitching well you know he, he could get himself into the mix but right now um, I, th- I would want to have Joe Smith as the as the alternative if I and and in fact I actually I own Joe Smith on a couple of teams yeah I think that's uh, that's I think that's a fair assessment and I, uh, I'll say I think I think if it eventually comes to a situation where um, if De La, and this is I was totally jumping ahead, assuming that De La Rosa uh, pitches pitches well um, to the point where he can enter the picture. Um, but yeah, Smith obviously he and he did the job well. Uh, he he doesn't kind of have that t- prototypical closer stuff, um, but he is he's been an effective pitcher for the past couple of years and uh, certainly has done the job uh, for the Angels. And I think he he I think he works well. Kind of like De La Rosa did, except that De La Rosa does have that kind of uh, wild side uh, of a of a closer's look to him, I guess. But I mean, Smith has he's he's done well. He's proven himself, and I think he fits kind of exactly what the Angels want in an interim closer. And so that's a I mean that's a positive for those in very deep leagues. I think Smith remains kind of a, that attractive guy to have at the end of your bench um, simply for that reason because anytime any guy can pick up a few saves for an NAL only league is certainly uh, useful yeah yeah I think I think um, 
you know, Freire, Freire's back into that short lease situation where, you know, if he comes out in his next opportunity and is really bad again, you know, he, he could get removed immediately, potentially. Yes. Um, but like I said, though, he, he could he could be back as the closer two weeks later, like he was last time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that what it, that's what is frustrating for folks who continue to speculate on the Angels situation. Uh, with the Cubs situation, it's a little different. It's interesting. Uh, Hector Rondon has been dealing with what we later learned was a sore elbow and was not available in a safe situation on Friday. Neil Ramirez had a bit of trouble filling in for him at that time, but uh, he locked it down and picked up another save today and is uh, on Sunday. And is in fact, this is a guy we've already talked about in here as being um, a very, very, very appealing pitcher especially uh, at least in NL only leagues as as a player who could fill in for Rondon at times and is going to give you fantastic numbers or looks to be able to give you fantastic numbers uh, even when he's not pitching in a save situation but uh and it's 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 probably still too soon to say that uh, Ramirez is taking the job away from Rondon because I mean this is the kind of thing where the the Cubs are looking to build uh, for the long term, and they don't necessarily need to be moving folks in and out of roles like that. Uh, but uh, Rondon, Rondon has not pitched uh, too poorly in the role himself. He's actually done he's he's done quite well. Uh, but this is a situation. These are anything you could see as far as I mean, uh, anything about the situation, uh, any insight you'd like to lend that you see about these guys in the long term. Ramirez to me looks like the more appealing of the pitchers, but. Uh, I, I think uh, necessarily it's it's not necessarily to say that he's uh, he's going to steal the job uh, anytime soon. Well, I actually picked up Rondon in three NF my three of my NFBC leagues. I picked up Rondon as a free agent earlier in the year, and um, you know one one thing I'll say about Rondon: the last time he pitched on June six, he gave, he blew a save and he gave up three runs. And people who look at the box score see that he gave up four hits and three earned runs, and you know they would assume that he he was awful. And I actually saw that game, and he gave up like three blue pits. It was it was really just kind of like disgustingly bad luck because nobody hit the ball hard and he gave up three earned runs. And that was the last time he pitched, and. Today, uh, this morning, he threw a bullpen session to test out his sore elbow, and they, they said that that went fine, and he would be available for the game. And then, and then the game happened today, and they gave Ramirez the save situation. So at this point, I have no idea what's going on. It's possible that they've decided to make Ramirez the closer. It's possible that they said, okay, Rondon's available today. He made it through the bullpen session, but you know what? Let's just be cautious. Um, you know, we don't want to throw him into a game today. Let's let's wait another day or two and make sure his elbow's fine. So um, I think either of those scenarios, you know, could, could be the situation. And so far, the manager hasn't said anything about what happened today. So um, as a Rondon owner, I think if, if I don't hear anything really positive by the deadline time tomorrow. I'm going to stick Rondon on the bench for this week, um, and and I certainly you know uh, think that if anybody can get Neil Ramirez as a free agent, you know, without spending an arm and a leg, it's 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 a good deal to get him. Um, but right now, it's like I don't know. You know, is is Rondon not the closer, or were they just being cautious with him today because of his sore elbow? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's um, it's uh, this is where it's. Uh, you're left kind of in fantasy no man's land or in, uh, I guess in, uh, in uncertainty in, in a state of uncertainty where yeah I think it's uh, based on usage 
Um, we could certainly speculate that maybe Ramirez is pushing his way into that uh, that position. Uh, Rondon at the same time, uh, yeah, he is coming off a health situation. They do want to be cautious. I think, I mean, I would, I, based on the fact that a pitcher uh, threw a bullpen session and uh, they were dealing with a situation where he was coming off a bit of elbow soreness, elbow soreness, it would seem strange to me that they would make him available. I don't know how typical that is, though. I, I, I'm totally kind of uh, not in, the, I'm not really in the, uh, in the know as far as how they, they are willing to handle pitchers to that extent. But, um, I, I would, I would like to think that they were just being cautious there. Uh, especially if I'm a Rondon owner, which I'm not, but, uh, I, I think it's, it's something to, to see. I think both pitchers have, have pitched extremely well out of the bullpen, uh, after being kind of failed pitching, pro, uh, starting pitching prospects. And I think that, um, I, both are worth owning. I mean, I certainly, even if uh, if Ramirez were to kind of take a stranglehold of the role, I would still, I would be reluctant to drop Rondon in a mixed league, but I think you would kind of have to. But uh, in an NL-only league, I would certainly, uh, I would not be uh, in, in any hurry to get rid of him. Um, and in a very deep mixed league, such as in an NFBC, I'd be reluctant to drop him there. I think I would really need to see a situation look like Ramirez has really taken control of the job for a, uh, an extended period of time before I dumped Rondon as well because he has he has as and that's some great insight on that uh, particular appearance. I think that uh, he has performed extremely well in the role and has done nothing to relinquish it. Yeah, and you know I agree with what what you said before. It's like if they're cons- the guy has a sore elbow and today they think he's okay, so today he has an eleven pitch bullpen session to make sure he's okay and he's fine. Yeah, I, why would you put him in a game? You know why? Why would why would you throw him in a game today? That wouldn't make a lot of sense. So I would, I would kind of think that they were being cautious. But you know, uh, I will have to wait till we hear something definitive and find out who gets the next save opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, moving to rotations, uh, some just an interesting development in San Diego. Uh, once again, uh, once again, we, this is a player we've already talked about, Jesse Hahn, who received a kind of a spot start last weekend. Uh, and he did not perform well at all, but Eno was particularly high on him. As I said, I didn't know a whole lot about him uh, and did get to see a little bit of just uh, kind of the products of that start. And uh, Han has some great stuff. I don't think there's really any question about that. He is um, he has put up some fantastic numbers in the minor leagues, uh, but no experience above the double-A level uh, other than his, his spot going into that uh his spot started last week, uh, but performed extremely well uh, on Saturday <clears throat> and uh, is filling in for a, 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 a demoted Tim Stauffer. He pitched six innings of one hit ball, walked three, but struck out seven. Uh, and they were all sh- uh, shout out innings. Now this is against the Mets. So take, <laughs> take it for what it's worth. But uh, it was, I mean, it was an extremely impressive performance uh, in, er- in earning a victory there. And, uh, not a pitcher with a with a great deal of walk problems in the minor leagues, he, he, and is a pitcher who could probably you could probably say that he's 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 going to have some some ups and downs. I don't think there's any question about it. First of all, he is a, he is a young pitcher, uh, but I think really it's it's a uh, you know basically the reason I'm talking about him is is uh, he replaces Stauffer, who is basically a stopgap, uh, and this is a, and. For instance, Casey Kelly is working his way back from Tommy John surgery. He's not really still anywhere near uh, near being in the picture yet, uh, though he's 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 definitely getting close. I think I want to say that he's he's working his way toward uh, um, 
being able to face live hitters and, and rehab assignment and things like that. But Robbie Erlin is a pitcher who's been dealing with some elbow soreness originally. They didn't think he was going to be out long at all, but now he's we're past his uh, minimum stint on the disabled list. And so I think at the very least, Han is a name to watch uh, with, with a lot of talent uh, that uh, if something goes wrong as far as Erlin goes, whether it's a setback or something of that nature, it's clear that the Padres don't want to resort to Tim Stauffer as anything more than a, than a stopgap. And uh, you know, they don't really have any other options. And Han is a pitcher with young ta- a lot of talent. And so... I mean, he looks like a guy who could, uh, you know, maybe catch lightning in a bottle or something like that. Uh, if it turns out to not to go the Padres' way, they can always you know, go somewhere else. Uh, in the sense that uh, they don't want to continue to damage Han's confidence uh, or anything like that if he's not getting the job done. But it's just, I think it's a name to watch for sure. Moving on to uh, to Pittsburgh, we know that Francisco Liriano has uh, hit the disabled list with an oblique strain. Uh, they come in and. Um, Here's a name, kind of a blast from the uh, the not so distant past is Vance Worley, who uh, picks up the spot start today, and looks like he's probably going to be due for at least another a start or two, uh, since we are talking about an injury that typically keeps out a player for at least uh, the 15 days that Liriano will miss, and there's speculation that it'll be a bit more. Uh, he, he had a fantastic outing, uh, it, it, and I think it was seven uh, seven innings of one run ball, something of that nature. Um, I think he walked only uh, didn't walk anyone. Uh, so, and a pitcher that I mean, he's he since he uh, left the National League was pretty much a disaster for the Twins for two seasons. Uh, really, had shown some signs, I think, uh, in, in his toward the end of his time in Philadelphia as as being a uh, pitcher who was headed on the way down. But uh, this is obviously really encouraging. He has some good numbers uh, uh, for AAA Indianapolis. I think that's Pittsburgh's uh, minor, uh, AAA affiliate. And uh, it, I mean, it's a, obviously this is not somebody we want to send anybody out to the uh, the mixed league waiver wire for. But is this you, you think there's a potential here for some uh, at least some NL only play? Um, well, yes, yeah, certainly not mixed league. Um, I, I don't, um, you know, this, this is kind of like, like Tim McHugh uh, of Houston, um, Colin where, McHugh, Colin McHugh. Uh, Colin, Colin McHugh, right. Colin McHugh. Um, well, you know, I mean, Colin McHugh had like no track record of anything, just, you know, basically pretty bad numbers across the board. And all of a sudden he comes up to the big leagues and he pitched a couple of great games. It's like, where the heck did that come from? You know, and so looking at Worley, I mean, his start is his, you know, one start uh, in the big leagues the other day. Um, yeah, it's like, where did that come from? Seven shutout innings, five hits, you know, because, you know, I last last year he was absolutely pathetic. Um, this year, pitching at AAA, he was, you know, like not all that great. He had seven starts in AAA. He had a 4.3 ERA and a WHIP of 111. So that's nothing special. So I would not trust him. Um, and I, uh, you know, in if it in an NL only league, if I really needed a starter, I would consider it. But you know, I want to like digress kind of for a second here. You know, all the conversations that we have like this about players and people are thinking like, you know, should I pick this guy up or should I tr- make a trade for somebody or buy low or sell high? You know, it. you always have to look at the value. This is like the biggest thing that I say in my book is it's all about value. So if you talk in general terms about people, it doesn't really pin anything down and it doesn't really tell you like, should I get a guy like Vance Worley and, and bench this other guy or, or drop this other guy on my team? 
what what you need to do, in my opinion, is for is to make projections of what you think the guy is going to do. You know, what's your best estimate of what Vance Forley is going to do, or Jesse Hahn, or you know anybody else. And then use an intelligently done value formula based on your league, you know, whether it's five by five, four by four points, whatever, whatever your, your league is. You need an intelligently done value formula specific to your league to determine exactly what is the guy's value going to be. So if you do that and then you, you get a guy like Vance Worley and you think, OK, I think, you know, if he were pitching for an entire season, he would have like 180 in his, in his pitch and his, and his ERA would be 4.5 and his whip would be 1.4 or whatever you think. Then you spit out a value where it'll say, okay, based on all that and your league parameters, Vance really worth, would be worth $2, for example. And if you've got uh, every other pitcher on your team is worth more than $2, then you have no need for Vance Worley. Um, and if his value, you know, so it's like that's that's the way that I like to analyze things. And, you know, in my book, I talk about this extensively and I show how you do a value formula and, and whatnot um, because – People have so many conversations in fantasy baseball where it's just like all vague. It's like, well, is Trout better than Cabrera or is this guy better than that guy or is this guy worth a waiver wire pickup? And they're not really looking at it in terms of maximizing the value on their roster. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that's um, – I mean that's certainly a, a kind of a take – I take a, a much more uh, amateur approach to it. I, I, I have yet to employ that kind of value system. But that's – I think it's all relative to um, – both what's available uh, in terms of when you take a look, think about it in terms of the big picture. Uh, what is, you know, how long, you know, estimating how long Worley is going to be a factor for Pittsburgh, how long he might be, and, and giving kind of a rough estimate, like you said, of, of what his performance could look like. Uh, and then comparing that to, uh, I mean, you, you, you certainly don't want to, I mean, to give up a piece um, that's more valuable to you down the road or anything like that for the sake of, a, uh, you know, for instance, a pitcher like Worley. I think that that's, um, I mean, it's 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 super valuable advice. I don't even know how else to quantify it. I think that that's, uh, I mean, it's extremely valuable. And a lot of times we talk on the show uh, where we'll say, you know, this is a, this is a pitcher that um, because of the development here, this is a pitcher or a uh, second baseman or something of that nature that uh, I want more than X and Y and Z, um, but not necessarily more than A or B or C. And we could talk about it in those terms relative. But uh, uh, when you get down to pitchers, uh, pitchers and, and other players like this, um, I mean, you're talking about the true depths of, of, of a, for instance, an only league. Uh, there's really not. Uh, I mean, he is. You're, you're, again, you're talking about the dregs, and and there's a there's there's a, a true fine there's a fine way to do, to really evaluate players like this, and that's I mean, if something for instance, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I take um, kind of a very uh, very loose approach when it comes to evaluating players like that, but I think that that's uh, it's it's quite insightful um, in the way you put it, and I think uh, again, that's uh, probably another reason that folks should check out your material. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, one thing too is when when pe people talk like you know you said you'll say like well I like player A and B better than player C and D, um, and somebody hears you say that. But the thing is, if if somebody is playing like seven by seven and you're adding you know holds in some other category, then that might change the equation. You know when people say well I, I like A better than B, 
um, but they might be talking about five by five. And if you're in seven by seven, or if you're in a points league or something, you know, that might change the entire equation. Yes, absolutely. And that's something we talk about as well. I mean, we, uh, when we compare players, uh, we'll say, uh, player X, I, I like him a bit more and we try to put it in vague terms. I mean, that's the thing there's, there's always going to be, um, uh, there's always they're always going to be minutia about about folks' leagues. And in some cases, it's going to be, it's going to change things drastically. Um, and I think that that I mean that's certainly always something to keep in mind. And we can uh, I encourage you, for instance, to uh, give some advice. And for instance, and we know that Tommy Lastella has been a, a much better play in OBP leagues and not so much in in leagues with batting average because he's not really going to be helping you there. And there's also uh, not necessarily a great bet to contribute in any other categories, um, and, and that's there. And that's just a you know that's kind of a very um, very simple example. But there's a, there's so many leagues out there um, that it, it, it's really I think it's really all about um, understanding the, the the quirks of those things. And we try to we you know, we we get advice from folks all the time, uh, ways that we can improve and we uh, and uh, improve our recommendations and things like that. So we certainly welcome that, and uh, I think uh, welcoming Larry's insight also on that too, because again, this is a tried and true formula. This man has won uh, quite a bit and has won in some of the biggest arenas. Um, so uh, again, we appreciate that. And, and uh, moving to the next topic, we're going to talk about uh, is is uh, just uh, it. it Found this a brief interest uh, with Baltimore <clears throat> uh, was is that uh, Kevin Gaussman is uh, he's expected to uh, to make one more at least one more spot start uh, coming up this Wednesday and this is in spite of the fact that Miguel Gonzalez who will be returning from the disabled list and this is the pitcher Gonzalez is the pitcher we kind of speculated would be the pitcher that would take a back seat to Gaussman if the Orioles were to uh, push Gaussman into the rotation on a full time basis. And this was our hope uh, that Gaussman would be that guy, or and we believe that he had the stuff to succeed. Uh, although he would probably occasionally hit some some rough patches, given that his fastball is kind of flat at times. Uh, but Gaussman is a guy that really intrigues us. Gonzalez is a guy who's pitched at, at the bullpen effectively at times. Uh, and as long as the Orioles do not need him out of the bullpen uh, at a time before Tuesday, when Gonzalez is expected to, to make his first start. Uh, uh, Gaussman will be f- uh, pitching on Wednesday, but this is not Showalter. Buck Showalter has made it clear. He says uh, is not, is not a move to a six man rotation. It's 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 interesting that they're still going to give Gaussman this extra start instead of sending him down. Perhaps it's just another opportunity to kind of be um, an audition. Uh, it, it's really interesting. I think uh, if you're a Gaussman owner or a potential Gaussman owner, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, is Gaussman then a pitcher that intrigues you as a pitcher who is uh, you know, somebody you would project to be an eventual part of your team based on his opportunity? Well, I think I, th- I think he's going to be a very good pitcher eventually. I'm not sure he's there yet. Um, oh, you know, he's he had a couple of really good starts um, in in AAA this year. He wasn't com- he wasn't completely impressive, and I'm I'm thinking of his 1.32 whip when I say that. His his ERA was pretty good. His strikeouts were pretty good. But a 1.32 ERA in AAA um, is not going to translate real well to pitching in Camden Yards and against the AL East. So um, I'm not sure, um, you know, if he's if he's there yet. But he's got a lot of he's got a lot of potential. 
And it's it's a situation that is uh, very intriguing. I think there's something Buck Showalter is not telling us because you know it's like what what is going on here? Um, where you know they say Gonzalez is going to start Tuesday unless we need him in the bullpen before then. Um, you know, so I don't know um, if Gausman pitches well on Wednesday. Um, yeah, he may he may stay up and. As a Miguel Gonzalez owner in labor and towers, I am definitely concerned about who would be the odd man out in that situation. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Is that it's uh, maybe there's something that he's not telling us, and uh, that it's not necessarily that even if if Gaussman pitches well, but it's uh, I mean, but regardless of the situation, it seems it seems that we have at least received that it's it's almost as if it's kind of um, confirmation without it being confirmation that Gonzalez might be it seems to be the guy who's going to get the boot uh, once they decide to go to Gaussman on a full-time basis uh, assuming that Gonzalez, uh, Gonzalez does not uh, acquit himself very well maybe leading up to the all-star break I mean it just seems like sooner or later that change will become kind of a permanent thing and it will be Gonzalez who's the odd man out um, and, and <clears throat> There's uh, the odd man out this past weekend was Oscar Tavares uh, option. This was kind of a situation we've talked about before. I just wanted to t- touch on it briefly. And basically, the only thing I could really say about it, it was it was uh, concurrent with the Matt, Act- Matt Adams activation. And for those who've been waiting for him to come back, you have to be extremely happy with the fact that unless <laughs> unless he uh, unless you were not able to activate him right away, that he hit three home runs, a home run on each of his uh, for, uh, first three days back. Uh, that's obviously extremely encouraging, considering that especially part of the reason you bought him was the power. Uh, but uh, very, very encouraging there. Uh, Oscar Tavares optioned. I, I think it's just simply kind of an acknowledgement that they don't think Tavares is quite ready. It was an opportunity to give him a little bit of exposure. They also were visiting a couple of AL, uh, sorry, American League parks, uh, and uh, they had the opportunity to give him some playing time. But uh, I, I, at the same time, I don't think he's too far away. I think that this—I mean, this is this is something I cautioned against. Even though folks were kind of thinking this might be it, uh, he's he's up for good. Um, I think that there's there's still a little bit that they want to see from him. Maybe work out as far as his, his uh, ability in center field, uh, combined with the fact that there might be a little bit of service time uh, manipulation that they can get away with by sending him back down. But I think, if anything, I mean, this is a situation where I would want to hang on to him. Uh, not be the least bit discouraged because I think you know by, by July, say, there's a very good chance that he could be back up again. Um, and, and this is a, it's a there's there's no I think it's I think it's very difficult to handicap his value going forward. Not necessarily somebody I would th- uh, would like more than say a um, <clears throat> uh, I'm suddenly blank. Oh, Gregory Polanco again. This is a player that both you know and liked. Uh, Eno and I both like Polanco more than Tavares in redraft leagues this season, uh, but going forward and as a as a keeper league prospect, I think Tavares is more intriguing. Uh, but uh, any takes on uh, as far as this Cardinals situation? Is there anything any any reason you think that uh, Tavares may not even actually be a great own at, at any time this season uh, in mixed leagues? Well, if you if you own Tavares, you got to hang on to him, um, but. You know, I at the beginning of the year, I was looking at the Cardinals roster and saying, okay, where are they going to put Tavares? You know, every, there was a lot of hype about Tavares, um, you know, maybe making the, the team out of spring training or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he could replace Bourgeois potentially um, if, if he's ready. But um, they clearly don't think he's ready. 
by sending him down. If he'd come up and hit 400 with a you know a couple of home runs or something, he'd probably still be here. Um, but um, you know, I'm not sure. But you know, barring barring another injury, I'm not sure when he's going to get another chance. He he may not he may not be up that soon. Um, so if if you got him, you got to hang on to him because he might come up and be very good. But uh, I think there's there's some people in in leagues like the NFBC where he wasn't necessarily 100% owned a couple weeks ago. There's some people that spent huge amounts of of their fab budget on him when he got called up, and they're really not happy now about it. Yeah, it's, it's you know what uh, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think coming into the season, I was a little more skeptical, and I think I've kind of been talked into um, the belief that Tavares is kind of you know sooner or later it's going to be he's going to be up and he's going to be up for good. And by sooner or later, I mean later is like uh, I think even before the All Star break, I think I was just kind of convinced of that. But coming in, I was a little more skeptical. I think than the crowd uh, as far as that because like you said, I mean they did they have accumulated a lot of depth in the outfield at this point. Um, I mean, it's a team. I think, I think it's going to be an unpredictable situation. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing clear cut about it. I think we could kind of, we could say with a little more confidence. For instance, it, it seemed like uh, Polanco's call up was an inevitability, uh, just from the direction that the Pirates were going in, uh, and they, the fact that they had no clear alternatives. And not to say that uh, John Jay and Peter Borges have really knocked anyone's socks off, uh, but they play pretty good defense, especially Borges. Uh, that may be for the primary concern for the Cardinals as long as Tavares is not proving that he's going to be a, uh, necessarily a plus option with the bat just yet. But that's going to come in time. I think it's just it, there's just there's a little more reason to approach that situation with caution um, and not necessarily think that this guy it would be, and because I mean, again uh, do love the ability. Uh, but this is not, he's not going to take, we don't expect this to be a player who takes the league by storm right away. He's not going to come up and hit 350 uh, with 10 or 15 home runs for the rest of the season and steal 10 or 15 bases or anything like that. It's going to be good, solid numbers, uh, but probably not anything that's going to like help save your season. He's just going to be a solid contributor likely. And that's just assuming when it comes up. So don't, don't look at this player who's, who's, who's going, uh, who's a, as a guy who's going to save anyone's season or anything like that. I think that's, uh, and the fact that he was, I mean, I saw him drafted in a lot of mixed leagues in the sense that, you know, this is the player that folks wanted to hold on to all season and look at him as that type of player. And I think that that was a dangerous way to look at him. Um, unlike uh, the George, you know, for instance, a Joy Springer or a Gregory Polanco. Uh, and that's, I, I think that that's, I mean, it's an excellent word of caution. Yeah, I you know I don't understand why St. Louis brought him up if, he, if they weren't bringing him up for good. I mean, with a, a young prospect like that, He's in AAA. He's getting playing time every day. He's learning. He's learning. They're get, trying to get him ready. So if if they didn't, I mean, I just if they didn't think he was ready to come up to stay, I don't know why they brought him up as a two week fill in. Um, well, I, I guess you know, I guess they thought it would be good for him to get a little bit of experience. Um, but I, I mean, I, was, I wonder was that their plan when they brought him up? Were they thinking when Adams comes back, we're going to send him right back again, or, or weren't they thinking that? Yeah. I- and that's kind of something we wondered too. And I think uh, when they first called him up, we thought, okay, that's um, uh, for instance, anyone else who was on the show. And there's, that was kind of the, the thought process as well. If they're calling him up, they must be calling him up for good. And I thought, well, I think it's dangerous to think that because, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that they necessarily even had an idea. It was, I think it was kind of, um, I mean, I certainly could have seen it being a situation where it's saying, well, the next time we know we need to make a roster move related to the first base and outfield position, 
you know, e- each of those times, whether it's with Adams or maybe in the meantime, we need to make another move. Uh, we'll kind of let Tavares dictate that. And uh, maybe they just kind of, maybe they were just, he just kind of proved to them that he just wasn't quite ready and they have a better idea. Uh, maybe that's just what they were. Maybe they were looking for an excuse again because they had they, you know, because they were going to be playing in the American League with the DH and have an opportunity to play uh, the extra hitter. Uh, but it's a, yeah, it's an interesting situation. Um, we know that this kid is going to be good. I think he's one of the few. I mean, I, I think he's got a very very low rate uh, as far as bust percentage is concerned. I think uh, the, the skills are are very attractive, um, and he's one of the few prospects you can really say that about because there are a lot of these guys we always talk about and get excited about, and the reality is is that uh, you know more of them probably will fail than will not. Um, but Tavares is. Uh, I think is one of those guys who has a relative to them is a very low bus rate, but it's, it's, it's a situation that's not completely ironed out, out yet. So don't view this, view him as a savior uh, player. We've gotten some questions about on the site with comments on articles and things like that uh, is Eugenio Suarez. And I just want to touch on him briefly. I mean, obviously he's hit extremely well since the Tigers have called him up. We've already talked about this guy just a little bit, but uh, I mean, he's the clear cut, kind of best option that Detroit has statistically at shortstop as far as fantasy owners are concerned. Um, certainly is a player who is, who is um, certainly a player who has come on the radar for, I'm sure for you, Larry, in a number of leagues. Is this a guy that you've been extremely interested in at any time? Is this a, do you think he's performing well above his head? Uh, do you think this is kind of, I mean, obviously he's not going to hit 400 and hit uh, 20 home runs. I don't think, I don't think that he, I mean, he's never had that profile. And may grow into that one day. I don't, I'm not even sure what he looks like long term. But is this player? Uh, you know, what are you kind of forecasting for him? What was your kind of fab estimation for him when you first when you first came under your radar? Well, he he came under my radar when he got called up. I had never heard of the guy, and I'm I'm in uh, two AL only leagues. I'm in labor AL and I'm in tout AL. So I am you know pretty up on all the you know the the part time players, and I'd never even heard of this guy until he got called up. So. I took a look at him, um, you know, to consider if I wanted to bid on him in, you know, the free agent bidding. And looking at his track record, um, you know, it's 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 hard, you know, it's, it's you never know. Um, but when I when I looked at this, I actually have have my computer in front of me, so I can tell you exactly. Um, one week ago today um, was when I had to consider the bid. What I estimated for him as a full time player was. A batting average of about 245, with seven home runs and six stolen bases, and then adding in the runs and RBIs for an AL only league that came out to a value of about six dollars. Okay. So, so that's somebody who's worth, definitely worth rostering in an AL only league as long as he is getting full time playing full full playing time. Um, and it's not somebody that you would want to consider in a mixed league. I mean, unless maybe you're in like a 20-team, very deep mixed league, that's not somebody that you would consider right. using. And, you know, so far, it's it's ridiculous. What's he got, like three or four home runs already and mm-hmm. then 400? I mean, so it's crazy. But there's there's no reason to think that he's going to keep that up. So, you know, he may he may do a little bit better than what I projected, but I still wouldn't I wouldn't be taking him in a mixed league unless I was really desperate. Yeah, that's kind of the way I viewed him, and I think that's. I mean, there's. I think it's. I mean, that's pretty much. That pretty much sums it up. I, I think he's. He's certainly. Uh, the adrenaline is pumping for his uh, major league debut, but I think it's it's a, quite a bit ambitious for him to, uh, to think that he, this guy is going to be. 
um, similarly speaking, is going to be that kind of difference maker for you uh, in anything really outside an AL only league. Uh, and, and for folks who are setting their lineups coming into this week, uh, certainly some players coming back who who uh, folks will be glad to see, at least especially a couple of these. Uh, Gio Gonzalez, uh, he's been out for a few weeks now uh, with shoulder inflammation. Sounds like, I mean, he's he's pretty much been given the, the go. To, uh, he'll be starting on Wednesday. Uh, I think he's been kind of a little little hit or miss in his couple of rehab starts, and so for me, as a pitcher, I would I would be a little hesitant to throw back in there if it was a I mean, if it was a shallow league or a mixed league or you know, shallow mixed league or something like that. But um, I guess in anything deeper, I mean, you know that he, he can pile up the strikeouts. I would be a little hesitant to throw him in there. I think if you have alternatives, um, but this is I mean, it's typically one of the top you know, 25, 30 uh, mixed league starters. So. Uh, encouraging for fantasy owners anything you'd be worried about heading into this larry well all i can say is thank this all i can say is thank god because i own Gio on two of my nfbc teams so i'm <laughs> glad to get him back and I, and, the, and those teams also own cliff lee so i've had both of them on the dl um you know um his first start back you know he you know i wouldn't expect oh you know in general him to be as good as as he usually might be but you've got to have some pretty de- darn good alternatives because he's probably when 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 you bought him at an auction or drafted him um you know he's probably like the the second or third best pitcher on most teams so um you've got to have some really good options to keep him on your bench i i would think you know most likely just put him out there yeah Uh, yeah i would i would yeah i would tend to agree with that unless you unless it's like an eight team mixed league or something like that where you you know but I think that's that's probably a fair assessment because we know that we know the caliber of pitcher that Gonzalez is, and I think if if uh, if the 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 rough minor league starts and I would say uh, the, the hit or miss I guess minor league starts that he had uh, building back up, if anything, there might be an indication of him working and working out the kinks, working on something specific is not necessarily a reason to be worried here. <clears throat> um, another another player, it sounds like. I, this is um, basically just they haven't actually filled in the blank of uh, expected activation date. I think Shane Victorino is past his uh, eligible to re- uh, eligible to return date, but uh, coming back from the strain hamstring, we know all along that Boston said they intended to take it easy with him, uh, not re- not look to any look to do anything to rush him back or anything of that nature. But it sounds like he's going to be back this week. He started a rehab assignment, uh, and they expect to give him a good six or seven days on the farm. And assuming all goes well, it sounds like he will be back. Uh, not a, not a player um, uh, that I would look to start in uh, in a league with weekly lineups, simply because uh, with a with a soft tissue injury, you never know could have some kind of aggravation, and then you're stuck with an empty spot for a while. And again, it's not. It, it's just simply. Mm-hmm. It's this week. I mean, we might we probably won't get him back until this weekend. Uh, but uh, all, all things sound positive there. But uh, and Larry also is a an avid follower of the Red Sox, I should mention. And so we might have some some uh, something different to share with us or some insight as far as Victorino is concerned. Well, again, I'll say thank God because I own him on like, I own him <laughs> in labor and labor and tout wars at a couple of NFBC teams. Um, in fact. I drafted him on an NFBC team, and like 40 minutes later, found out he was he was going to start on the DL or something like that. Um, so I'm glad to get him back. Hopefully, he'll stay healthy for a while. Um, yeah, you, you you certainly don't want to start him in a mixed league with weekly lineups because 
you, that, you know, at best you'll get two or three days worth of, of use out of him this week. And at worst case, you know, he might not get activated yet for some reason. So um, definitely you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be starting him in, in AL labor because if I get two or three days of him, um, it'll be better than a full week of who I bench in labor. You know, but other than that, there's no reason to start him yet. Yeah. That's sound advice, and that's actually probably a good opportunity to segue into something I want to touch on specifically with you is uh, uh, they, uh, the Red Sox t- spoke um, about the possibility that uh, Will Middlebrooks will see a little bit of time in the outfield on his rehab assignment, and I know at different times this season, uh, the left field spot has been a, a bit of an issue. With I think they've played, they've played Brock Holt out there, if I'm not mistaken. They've obviously Johnny Gomes, Daniel Nava at times has been a solution. Grady Sizemore has kind of uh, I don't think he's disappointed in the sense that uh, whatever you get from Grady Sizemore on a minor league contract is, um, or whatever his contract was, is certainly encouraging. But I mean, he certainly also at the same time not provided what you would call plus production. Uh, at this point, I think it's an interesting situation in the outfield. Uh, it's hard for me to think that the, the to to believe that Middlebrooks really factors in there. But who knows? Uh, but uh, I know Nava has kind of actually hit well in his latest call. Call up, and this is a, this was the player that uh, fantasy owners had probably expected to continue to, or to maintain the playing time for the most part in the in left field. There, who do you foresee being the guy? Who would you project to be the guy who earns the most uh, as the left fielder for the Red Sox for the rest of the season? Um, well, not Middlebrooks. <laughs> I, I think you know. I think um, I think Middlebrooks is either going to be a Triple A or he's going to be playing against left-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, platoon, platooning with Drew, or if he can actually play the outfield, maybe platooning in the outfield. Um, but Middlebrooks has been a disappointment. I mean, he hasn't hit this year, just like he wasn't hitting last year. So I don't know. Hopefully, he's going to turn it around. But um, you know, the outfield's kind of it's kind of um, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Um, I was expecting that Nava would be pretty good this year. Um, I was really, you know, shocked that he was so bad and then got sent down. And um, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see, you know, when I don't, I don't own Nava anywhere, but I um, was actually tried to take a shot at, at getting him um, in a trade in one of my leagues, which uh, didn't work out. But um, I was, was like, you know, trying to maybe get him cheap, hoping that he might stick and, you know, play against right-handers. But, uh, when Victorino gets activated, you know, I'm waiting to see, will Nava get sent down or, you know, if not, who's going to get sent down? Um, I don't really, I, I don't really see Middlebrooks as much of an option out there. Yeah, I think it, it, it would, it would be, it would be quite a feat, I think, to see, or quite a leap, I think, to see Middlebrooks being an option for them out there. It, it seems interesting that they're willing to, to, to try that. Um, and, it seems like the way Holt has hit that it seems like he would he that he would uh, it, it seems unlikely that he'll be an odd man out for the Red Sox, uh, even though eventually he might not really fit into the picture. Um, I think the well, I, mean, I, I was I was just going to say about Holt too. Like I I don't you know I don't see Holt keeping this up. I mean maybe yeah certainly not. You know I mean I I'm I'm, sur- I'm surprised he's hit this well and I um, you know I I just I think. They're, you know, they're quite likely there'll be a, you know, two for 25 slump coming and then he won't be playing so much anymore. Yeah. 
yeah, I think that, that I think that's a good possibility. I think it just becomes then the question becomes is how soon does that slump hit? A lot of this ends up being timing uh, because it's just kind of the even if it's just maybe a perception uh, that the organization ends up forming based on uh, their most recent performance. And and again, Holt is getting the results now. Uh, if he sinks into a slump here by the time uh, Victorino is ready to be activated, and maybe I mean Nava is showing some encouraging signs. And no, he was over two today, but walked three times. And that's the kind of thing. I mean, he does bring a decent, uh, pretty decent uh, approach uh, with some patience. Uh, I think that uh, I mean he's <clears throat> he's come up with a two-hit game and a three-hit game in his last few. Uh, had a three-hit game uh, w- about a week ago. Uh, to me, he's still. I mean, I, I was disappointed by the performance. I wasn't. I mean, I think he certainly performed a little above his head last season. But overall, I mean, he's a very solid player and uh, somebody who. I mean, I still have expected to come in and hit 260 or 270 at least. Uh, and be kind of a steady presence out there. And I think it's it's a little disappointing. And if I had to project somebody to be kind of the best player to own in that in that spot in the long and uh, for the rest of the season, I'd be I'd put it on him simply because I like the combination of the skills. But it's just it's such a difficult situation to predict because a lot of this is going to be based on timing. Uh, it seems uh, based on uh, the way certain players yeah. are performing at the time that the, ro- that the Red Sox need to make roster moves. Yeah, and even like you know who who has options left and who doesn't. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean Nava. Um, yeah, I mean if if he could, if he could keep the job, you know, um, at least against you know right-handers anyway, you're probably right. He probably would be the most valuable. Yeah, but there's and that's. But 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 if but you know but if Victorino gets activated and they send Nava down again, I wouldn't be shocked. Right. That's and I I yeah I'm the same way. I mean I think it, it wouldn't be the least bit surprising. And it'd be unfortunate. I mean, he just he has the best best mixture of skills, but uh, playing time is just uh, we've talked about, or I've talked about uh, in a number of other spots. I mean, playing time is a diff- is such a difficult thing to project because you can project um, rates and things like that, but uh, I mean, a lot of it comes down back, to timing. You know, at back back you know back in March during draft season, I had Nava. Uh, included in my pool of players for a 15-team mixed league, you know, so I thought he was kind of, I thought he was worthy of being in 15-team mixed leagues. Um, Surely, I think he deserved. He had to be drafted in 15. Yeah, and, and, and that was, and that was, and that was assuming he would he would platoon against right-handers. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, wasn't like thinking it was going to be full-time or anything. Right. Certainly. Um, I think if anything, it's just nice to know maybe that Johnny Gomes hopefully is not any sort of. Uh, long-term solution there <laughs> finally uh he to me is just kind of a he's he's he certainly earned his place i guess in the clubhouse but is uh is really kind of a maddening player when it comes to fantasy um speak uh, just a few more players we'll touch on real quickly that, that are making their way back for folks uh is uh, eric young jr expected to be activated from the disabled list on monday by the mets coming back from a strained hamstring uh, I would guess that he, I mean, he looks like he'll be in line for some considerable playing time there, at least in the short term. Uh, I'm not sure if Juan Lagares has made it back from the disabled list yet. Uh, Matt Dendecker seems like a guy who would get sent down. Excuse me, sent down. Um, I think it's it's an opportunity, perhaps briefly, to touch on how incredible Bobby Abreu has been. This is another performance that I really don't think fantasy owners can expect to continue, seeing as how he's like 79 years old. But uh, any thoughts here on how the, I mean, there, there's some, the, the Mets have been putting together a patchwork outfield that seems like it should not be working, but so far in a way it has, at least in terms of 
for instance, Bobby Abreu's performance at times. I mean, earlier this season, Matt Dendecker uh, was hitting a bit, uh, but uh, n- none of these guys look like a long-term solution. Um, any thoughts on that outfield and, and if uh, there's anything to be interested in here? Um, you can say no, it's okay. <laughs> no, you know, no, I mean, their moms don't um, listen. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, obviously like, you know, Granderson is already owned in every league. Um, you know, so no, I mean, but you know, Bobby Abreu, it's a nice, it's a nice story, but uh, I wouldn't go picking them up in a mixed league. Yeah. Even in an NL only league. I mean, he's probably owned at this point in an NL only league, but is this, um, I'm, yeah. I, I assume this is a guy you're ready to dump at the first, you know, if you find a player you think has more long-term value, for, uh, long-term being the rest of the season, is it a player you're willing to dump even if he's in the midst of a hot streak? Well, I mean, as I mean, Bobby Abreu right now, you know, is certainly worth playing in an NL-only league. He's getting, you know, a pretty good amount of playing time in his hitting, and he's probably going to be, better than you know even even if he's your fifth outfielder or your dh or something he's going to be better than somebody you could drop him for and pick up on the off the waiver wire in an nl only league because um you know on the waiver wire in an nl only league there's going to be you know almost nothing good available um but at some point you know his playing time is probably going to diminish and um i certainly wouldn't be touching him in a mixed league yeah even now yeah certainly not uh, good news for the Blue Jays and for Colby Rasmus owners is that uh, he's expected back. Sounds like he'll be activated as soon as Tuesday with a strained hamstring. I would think that uh, you can get him back in the lineups. I haven't heard anything negative about his uh, his rehab assignment, which uh, started at the end of last week. And so far, so good, I think, in terms of his health. And that's really all that matters because he's a very streaky hitter. Uh, but uh, sounds like all, all systems are good there. I would be pretty cautiously optimistic that I could put him in my lineup. Um, and, uh, Tyler Skaggs sounds like, uh, things have gone well. He threw a 30 pitch, 30 pitch. I hope that didn't uh, sound as bad as I think it did. 30 pitch bullpen session and, um, doesn't need a rehab assignment or anything like that. I think he's, uh, likely to be activated and we're first eligible. The only thing that's really interesting is that a Hector Santiago has pitched kind of well, uh, in his couple of spots and places Skaggs. And so, but, uh, I mean, uh, Obviously, seems like he should be the the odd man out. He, I, I think Santiago is still a ways from fixing the issues we've talked about previously on the show. Um, just uh, it's 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 uh, Skaggs is in the midst of a kind of a breakthrough season uh, for those in especially in deep leagues. I mean, this is a guy uh, deep mixed leagues included, um, and this is a, this is a guy who has certainly put up the strikeouts and uh, re- really come a long way. I think that uh, uh, in terms of his. Uh, walk rate against and things like that. I think he's a very encouraging player so far, uh, and it'd be nice to get that guy back. I would probably that would be a guy I might uh, wait to to include in my lineup until uh, uh, I took a, a deeper look at the matchup. At least I'm not even sure he would be facing. So we don't have an, actually a confirmation that he's going to be back because they also they could also they could always opt to give him one rehab start. Uh, so a guy now be eager to throw back in there just yet. Uh, just a couple of well, a couple of quick topics to talk talk on. Uh, Larry, do you have any you have any thoughts on where uh, you think Jeff Samarja might land? And uh, you, you know, maybe if we see a a, a lead change on the horizon, uh, obviously this is a pitcher you you'd be extremely interested in an AL Lieber and an AL Tout uh, if you were to change leagues. But um, anything that might 
I mean, certainly it's not the same caliber as, for instance, a Scott Feldman who had come over from the Chicago Cubs and changed uh, changed leagues. And, uh, and uh, I mean, Samarja has great stuff. Uh, there's no question about that. you have any concerns about how you might play, for instance, if you were to change leagues? Um, well, you know, I, most likely the ERA and WHIP are going to go up going to the AL and he's going to get some more wins because we'll be on a better team, most likely. You know, um, I think the latest rumor was, well, you know, Toronto and Boston and um, one other American League team, I forget who it was, were, were had scouts watching him. So, you know, Toronto or Boston, the AL East with a DH, obviously his ERA and whip are going to go up, but he's going to get some more wins. Um, you know, he's definitely somebody I'm going to keep my eye on because in, in AL labor, I have the most fab money. Um, well, that's so, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, partly it's because I had a couple of guys get hurt. Oh, that's not so nice. It wasn't nice. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm, I'm hoping for a really good hitter to get traded to the AL because I need a, I need hitting more than pitching. But um, yeah, so Marger, you know, would, would, would be a decent option. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think he's, uh, there's certainly, there, uh, from everything we've seen from his numbers, it appears that he's probably due for some serious corrections. But I think even in that case, like I think I think I would be more optimistic than even um, a couple of years ago when Ryan Dempster was traded to the AL. And we all knew that there were some corrections coming in his numbers, uh, but they were even worse than expected. I mean, I think, I think Zamarja's stuff plays well enough. His stuff is, is, is so good that uh, I don't think that the, the corrections will be it's combination because there's going to be a combination of corrections as well as a lead change, and he may have the advantage initially because uh, some hitters have not seen him. Uh, but at the same time, again, this is it's going to be some tougher environments to pitch in. Uh, but just overall, uh, I mean, his stuff is is very good, and uh, I think he's made some fantastic strides. And so he, he he's certainly more well equipped than uh, some of the other recent lead changers uh, that we can say. Um, to to kind of uh, combat those things, but uh, um, I, I think it's he, he'd be an interesting pitcher to see how he he plays up against a certain competition. And uh, I mean, he certainly for those who have, I mean, he's I don't know what his win total is. It's like two or three. I mean, yeah, it's two. <laughs> it's it's in, four, in fourteen starts, two wins. Certainly, yeah, it's yet another reason for fantasy owners to consider a category besides wins and in, in future leagues. Uh, uh, for that sake, uh, and, and one other thing I want to touch on briefly was just how the off, uh, the Royals is all, the Royals offense has uh, has come to life here in recent uh, times. I would say probably in the last week, and they're on some kind of uh, winning streak. Once maybe they've won like seven of the last nine, something of that nature. I don't know the exact number, but um, and the offense seems to have uh, really come along. Uh, they're actually hitting home runs. Um, it's, I think it's really encouraging, and this kind of coincides with uh, it wasn't too long ago that they changed hitting coaches and Dale Swaim, uh, and and so far so good. I mean, I think that for for instance, uh, I mean, I think this is this is something to be aware of in terms of when it, when a team makes a coach like the uh, uh, coaching change like this, uh, and the, and then shortly thereafter the results change. I think that there's there's something to it. I mean, it could be just a case of uh, some luck changing there, but I think there's. A lot more to do with it with, uh, than that, and uh, I think it's some of it has to do with the Royals' approach. Uh, just from watching a little bit of them, uh, you have any insight on the Royals and themselves? I'm not saying for everyone in the mixed leagues go out and pick up Mike Mustakis by any means, but uh, I think you have to be encouraged, especially if you were an Eric Hosmer owner, a Billy Butler owner, um, Alcides Escobar, Omar Infante, particularly he was struggling quite a bit. 
Yeah. Um, Norichika Aoki, maybe even, because uh, he was not performing up to expectations. Uh, are you are you more excited about the Royals' offense now? Well, you know, I figured they would hit. I mean, I, I knew. I mean, you know, Omar Infante is not going to hit 240 all year long, and Billy Butler is not going to hit 250 with one home run or whatever it is all year long. Um, so, you know, the, you know, I know the guys can hit. And I'm not sure if you know if it was a coincidence about the hitting coach or if, if they just relaxed having a new hitting coach or if he changed their approach. You know, I have no idea, uh, but it's certainly no surprise that they they hit because they obviously had a lot of people who can hit better than they were hitting. Yeah. Yes. I think that was, I mean, I think that's, um, that's certainly true. I mean, I certainly expected some, just some things to come around. I knew that they were all better hitters than that, uh, as well. And I think that that's, um, it, I think it makes you wonder, I mean, certainly sometimes it just takes a change in the coach just to say, Hey, uh, you know, everybody is doing this or that. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I, I mean, call, call your, call your leagues, Billy Butler owner and see if he- if there's still any chance left of buying low. <laughs> yeah. In this day and age, it becomes harder and harder to buy low and sell high and things like that. But, uh, and also at the same time, there's, there's reason to start, uh, selling low and buying high. And so maybe folks are willing, uh, a little bit willing, uh, regardless to make some moves. And I think, I mean, this is, it, it, there's too much talent on this Royals offense, um, for it to, per, to, for it to have continued to perform the way it was, uh, and I think that if whether it was or was not, uh, but if if Swaim happened to be part of the key that helped unlock it, um, I, I think I would just be a lot more encouraged. Obviously, this is only roughly a week's worth of results, and so uh, there's a small sample when you're dealing with a, a wide array of players. But uh, I think that uh, we know that the uh, that it looks like there's there's a lot of hitting talent there. That's uh, it's it's primed to contribute and, and if anything then there's an, an opportunity a reason not to be overly concerned uh for the long haul at least and, and 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 as a result of that i mean i've seen speculation about possibility that the royals want to trade james shields and things like that i still think that the royals will consider themselves in the race for as long as possible and, and do everything to avoid that and if uh the hitting is coming along i think that that just is going to be even more reason i mean this could be a team that uh, turns out to contend could not uh, obviously as well still uh, could still could easily uh, continue to disappoint everyone uh, uh not to say that i i wasn't picking them to win the division or anything like that but um i think it's uh i think it would be safe to say that the royals are are kind of desperate to see some returns on the things that they've been telling folks to expect uh and uh, so I think that they're going to do everything they can to cling to that uh, before they start looking to sell pieces. And so maybe the Royals offense turning around is just some some uh, more reason to believe in that. Uh, just before we, we go, I always like to do this at the beginning of the week. Larry, uh, I'm not sure how what your what is your philosophy, uh, I guess, if you have one on uh, on two star pitchers. Uh, I mean, there's not just like anything else there's everything is everything depends on a scenario but do you have a general uh insight or any any kind of thoughts before uh, we get into just you know we would touch on a couple of two-star pitchers this week and uh any of your particular favorites is there any way you, uh, in particular that you handle them well yeah the, i mean the general philosophy is you know people it's it's easy to say you know get a two-star pitcher and people stream two-start pitchers because you get more wins and strikeouts. But the thing is, you're also streaming more crappy ERA and crappy WHIP. Right. So, 
you know, like everything else, it comes down to a question of value. And, you know, like in, in, in my book, when I, the chapter about, you know, in-season management, I discuss this topic and I show examples of, well, what is a guy's actual value when he starts twice compared to when he's, you know, compared to his usual value. And that way you can figure out, like, am I, you know, am I, how much more value am I getting by getting this two-start pitcher than this one-start pitcher as an alternative? You know, like if I have, if I have, um, you know, say Gio Gonzalez with one start and then I got this other guy who's not as good a pitcher as Gio, but he's got two starts. Well, when, when, you know, when does the two starts become more valuable than Gio's one start? So again, like anything else, if you, if you have numbers in front of you and you put it into a value formula, you can spit out a value and say, okay, you know, this guy starting twice would be worth $15 and Gio starting once would be worth $12. So that's kind of like the general philosophy. The other thing is that people always talk about two start pitchers and what they don't remember, what they don't talk about though is when, if, if you've got say, say, you know, Gio Gonzalez and you say you think he's worth $20 for the season. So, He's a $20 pitcher for the whole season. When he has two starts, he's more than a $20 pitcher. But what you have to remember is when he has one start, he's actually less than $20 because his overall value is based on an entire season. And he's going to have like probably 32 or 33 starts in 26 weeks which is an average of about one and a quarter. And there's no week during the year where he's going to start one and a quarter times. (laughs) So it's either he's either worth more or he's worth less. So I do an analysis in my book of how you, how you, how you figure out, you know, who to start based on a projected value for the week. Um, You know, so that's kind of my general philosophy. Um, As far as this week coming up, um, you know, probably the best, Probably the best bet on the board is Tanaka of the Yankees. Um, just because you know, he's really good. <laughs> just because he's really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, depends. You know, what if obviously if you know if you're in an auction or draft league, he's already owned. But I don't know if you're if you're like in salary cap league or playing daily games or something. Well, a daily game wouldn't involve a two-star pitcher. But um, you know, like I'm in the CDM salary cap game, so. Um, you know, he'd probably be like the best guy to start in that format. He's got two home games and he's pitching so well that, you know, it seems like if he, if he, if he wins every game, he pitches the rest of the year, it wouldn't be a complete shock. Yeah. That's how well he's pitching. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And on a more realistic note, um, somebody who might be available in, in like some of the mixed leagues. Um, I like Tommy Malone. Um, I, I think Tommy Malone is worth rostering in a, fi- in a 15 team league. And, um, you know, and in, in worth using for some two-star weeks in a 12-team league. Um, this week, the good news is he has two starts. The bad news is he's facing Hugh Darvish and Lester. So it's not, it's not the best two-star week. But I think he's home twice, which, which yes. is good for him. He's definitely better, better pitching in Oakland than he is on the road. Yes. Yeah, and, and Texas's offense, normally intimidating, is greatly depleted and – Boston has not quite lived up to, uh, uh, well, has not quite performed up to standards. And I think I, Malone has pitched really well in his last handful of starts. And uh, it's really encouraging because we know these kind of hit or miss in terms of, um, it, it for him, it's all about location um, and uh, not walking players. And he's been really good. Actually, it was a, a pitcher I had my eye on as well for a nice kind of fringe two-start week. And 
I'd be I'd be concerned about uh, Eric Bedard going up against Baltimore a little bit, but uh, we, this is just something we talked about in the past about how Houston has hit left-handers well, and uh, his second start is against Houston. Baltimore, uh, he's at home for both of them, but uh, Baltimore I think is a uh, is is really been uh, they've been a little inconsistent offensively, but for the most part I think that they've hit well lately, and I think I'd be a little concerned about that one. But at least both of his starts are at home, uh, but. Uh, it's, it's it's not a it's I don't think it's a terribly attractive week for two start pitchers beyond uh, Max Scherzer has obviously he was fantastic in his last start uh, he went the distance uh, hopefully that's kind of the end of his doldrums but uh, Justin Verlander still hasn't quite worked out his and so there's not a lot of pitchers not a ton of pitchers who are really uh, terribly appealing and I think Drew Pomeranz uh, um, is It'd be interesting to see. I think uh, if uh, he has a kind of a similar two-star outlook, based on the fact that he is—he's he, also left-hander and facing both the uh, Texas and Boston at home. Um, but uh, and is, is a flyball pitcher. I think that that's going to help him there. Um, but uh, it's—you it, ever, ever get a concerned uh, if, uh, say, a pitcher. Uh, Say a team is going to throw left-handers back to back, and they're going to see two similar type pitchers. Pomeranz throws a bit, good bit harder, but for the most part, they're seeing kind of this, the same kind of thing. Does that ever concern you? Um, no. Okay. No, I think. I mean, I think you 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 can you can get like so into the weeds right. looking at stuff like that, or um, you know, their lifetime stats against a certain team, and yeah, I think um, those are all. I, I, I think I think I think I think you can just like get way too far into the weeds if you, if you want, which, and you know, I, w- I would keep it simpler than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, d- yeah, we don't want to get, to I mean, I, I mean, that's something, you know, if, if I, I mean, if I was the manager of a major league team and I was setting my rotation, I would consider that, yeah. but you know, as a fantasy player trying to decide who to start, I would not worry about that. Right. Uh, and in the, in the national league, uh, certainly we have a number of pitchers who uh, have either um, really satisfied us, uh, to no end, uh, as far as I mean, with Adam, the, the Adam Wainwrights. But actually, he is a. I think he's a, he's definitely a question mark, or he's not. He's not. He's, he's, scratched. He's, he's scratched from the Monday start, so he's not actually a two start option. I forgot to scratch that one out. I apologize. Uh, but the Michael Walkers, the Tyson Rosses, is for the most part giving us some fantastic numbers. Cole Hamels has pitched well in his last few outings. Jonathan Neese has been fantastic, and so there's a lot of there a lot of folks uh, will be starting these guys no matter what. Uh, uh, anybody here that concerns you? Obviously, uh, uh, Hyunjin Ryu looks like a fantastic two-start week with an option. Uh, with uh, he gets to face Colorado at home, and then it's at San Diego. Um, is there really anybody here who stands out as a guy that you're staying away from uh, of any of the top guys, or is there, is there a kind of a fringe option that really I- interests you? No, um, not really. I would say I feel better about Waka knowing that it, he's at home twice. Yes, um, he he seems to be pitching better at home than on the road. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be my only comment. And um, Julio Tierans, he's got two starts, and Tieran and Quetta are just two really good pitchers who have two starts this week. Yes, yes, and uh, I'd be. I think Washington has not been quite as good against right-handed pitchers, and I think uh, after Tehran visited uh, Coors Field this past week and was is, was absolutely destroyed, I think uh, his owners will be glad to get him in a, a week. Uh, against the Phillies, especially, and then uh, at Washington. Uh, so it could be a nice bounce-back week for him. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much all we have for uh, the, the Sleeper in the Bus. It's a fantastic addition with special guest Larry Larry Schechter. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Larry. And once again, please tell uh, everyone the title of your book and uh, where they might find it. 
the book is called Winning Fantasy Baseball, Secret Strategies of a Nine-Time National Champion. Um, it's at it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble and other bookstores. It's available Kindle, Nook, iTunes. And there's uh, information and reviews that have been done on it on my website, which is winningfantasybaseballthebook.com. Yes, it's it's really good. Uh, like I said the yeah, parts it's, not, it's uh, the parts I've read. I mean, I, I, it's really insightful. I think that that's if you want to if you want to get down to the nitty gritty as far as a, a fantasy player who has really broken taken the time to break down a lot of aspects of the game. Um, yeah, I'll just say it's like it's not the same stuff you've heard a million times before. Right. And the reason is a lot of that stuff you've heard a million times before doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you do. I think you do a very good job of putting things in context. I mean, that, or, and um, you understand the relativity of it all. And uh, that I mean, you, you try to give folks a very um, flexible system, I think. Uh, at least that's the way I, I, I've certainly interpreted it. I think it's um, uh, the parts I've read. I, I've 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 gained some valuable insights from it. I'm looking forward to reading the rest. I'm kind of uh, when I read books like that, I try to like read it in parts uh, because I, I try to like kind of absorb one part at a time, learn something. I feel like if I read the entire thing, uh, you know, I like to implement things as I learn them. If that makes sense. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm certainly I'm kind of working my way there. I, but I, it's I think it's worth a read. Um, a number of other folks in the industry have read it and given it a great deal of compliments. Uh, I think that's it's something that that uh, fantasy owners should check out uh, because you will learn something from it. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, again, his and the website for the book is winning fantasy baseball at the book dot com. Uh, and Larry has won quite a bit. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. This is episode number 129 of The Sleeper and the Bust. And again, Larry, thank you very much for coming on. Okay, thanks, Nick. Boom.